Lord, that's our prayer. We want to know you more, God. We want to surrender our lives to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word and you would help us to know how to do that. Lord, as we look at these kings of Israel long ago, show us what it means to surrender, to follow Christ. We pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, we're going to continue in our Divided Kingdom series today. Uh, last week we looked, uh, well, and actually we're going to go right to the end of one of the kingdoms that we're going to talk about next week. But we're going to, um, last week we looked at Jehu, who was a king of northern Israel, and he did really well. And then at the end he kind of, kind of fell apart, and so we talked about finishing well. And we also talked about Joash, who, um, you know, he, he, did, he made a lot of reforms, but in the end, he left all the idols in place for the people as well, and, and, and he didn't quite do what God had asked of him. And so we asked this question, what is the high place in your life that you're keeping from God? And I, and I laughed last week as I was thinking about that, because my high place used to be a high place. I used to put my recreation climbing and skiing over the things that God was calling me to do. And so I thought it was funny that I had to give up my high place. Um, but this week we're going we're gonna to get at another question, and that's going to be, what does it look like to trust God? What does it mean to surrender to God? And we're going to do that by looking at two different kings of Judah, Ahaz and then his son Hezekiah. Uh, and in between Joash, king of Judah, and Hezekiah, there's, there's three kings, and we'll just mention them briefly. Amaziah, these are good names, aren't they? You should have to preach these names. Amaziah, who's a decent guy, and we see uh, in Second Chronicles 25-2 that uh, he follows God, but he, he doesn't do it with his whole heart. And so in the end, he, he falls into worshiping some idols like some of the previous kings have done. And then there's Uzziah, <clears throat> and Uzziah was a pretty decent dude. He tried to do what's right, but he had this little problem called pride, and so he decides that it would be a good idea for him instead of the priest to go in the temple and, and offer a, a burnt offering, an offering of incense to God. And the priest said, don't do it, but he did it anyway, and so he comes out with leprosy. And so the moral of that story is if you do Tara, if you do Tara, don't Tara, right? There you go. <laughs> then Jotham reigns, and he does pretty good. And he's careful to take notes from his dad's experience, and he decides that he's not going in the temple at all because uh, he doesn't want leprosy. And so here we go. Then we come to Ahaz and Hezekiah, uh, and Ahaz is not a good king. In fact, he's one of Judah's worst. And then Hezekiah is one of Judah's best. And so we're going to look at these two kings in out of the book of Isaiah primarily because Isaiah does this cool thing. Almost the whole book is in poetry, except for two sections. Two sections tell a story, one about Ahaz and one about Hezekiah. And what Isaiah wants us to see is the contrast between these two kings, one that was unwilling to trust God, in fact rebels against God, and one that does trust God and gives his life to God and his, and his purposes. Isaiah 1.1 tells us that Isaiah prophesied during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, that, that ends up being about 53 years, uh, maybe 60 or so, where Isaiah is writing 
his book, and he talks about things in the current day of his time, and he also talks about what's going to happen to Israel about 150 years into the future and beyond. And so we'll look at what Isaiah has to say. And what we see, what we want to see today, what Isaiah makes very clear is that if you want to have life, then you need to trust God. And not only life now, but life in the future. You need to trust God. And he keeps asking us this picture through these kings. Will you trust in yourself, in your ways? Either by making, doing religious things and making yourself seem good looking to God, or, or maybe you try to go your own way in rebellion and do your own thing, or will you place your trust in God and experience His grace in life? That's the contrast Isaiah keeps building. And as we'll see, Ahaz, as he doesn't trust God, it, it always leads to destruction. And as Isaiah humbles, or Hezekiah humbles himself and trusts God, it leads to life and blessing. And so we'll look at that today. And we're going to do that. We're primarily going to be in Isaiah, Isaiah 7 and 8 and uh, Isaiah 36 and 37. But we're also, I'll bring in a few passages from Second Kings and Second Chronicles. So if you want to follow there too, you can. So let's look at Ahaz. Here's what Chronicles tells us about Ahaz. Second Chronicles 28, 1 through 4. It says, Ahaz didn't do what was right in the sight of God. He didn't follow the ways of David, how David had followed God, but he was like the kings of Israel. He made, he made idols to Baal. He, he made offerings at the high places and the Asherim poles and the groves of trees to the fertility cult that we've talked about. And, and we can only surmise that he even engaged with the sexual practices that were there. And then beyond that, he even burned his own son as an offering as we've talked about some of the kings did in their pagan worship. And so then 2 Chronicles 28.19 tells us that, that his leadership made Judah act sinfully. He led them into sin. He led them away from God. And all of Ahaz's idolatry carried his heart further and further away. And, and really that's no surprise, right? We know that God has said... if. If you put your trust in things other than Him and, and you seek to indulge in sin that is against His things, then He says it will carry you away. You'll, you'll be taken away from God. And, the, and that's what happens. And so Isaiah is going to record for us kind of a defining moment for both kings. Both kings are going to have a, a war that's threatening them. Both kings are going to have a battle that's coming against them. And the way they react to those things will show us who trusts God and who doesn't. So, Isaiah records a war with Ahaz. There's two kingdoms, Syria, uh, well, sorry, northern Israel, and then Syria, which is above that. And both these kingdoms are going to come down, and they're going to try to make war with Judah and make them participate in a war against Assyria. Now, I know that's a lot of political, complicated stuff, but that's what's happening. So let's, let's hear it from Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 1 and 2. Here's what it says. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up against Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. And when the house of David, 
was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Ephraim is northern Israel. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And I like that imagery because you kind of can think of the the aspen trees in our own mountains kind of shaking in the wind, right? They're scared. And so here's the situation. Like I said, northern Israel, Ephraim, and Syria, they want Judah to go to battle with them against Assyria. Judah doesn't want to do it, so they come down and say, we'll make you go to battle with us. They're going to fight against them. So they team up and they're coming down. And Ahaz is scared. He's scared. So what does he do as the king? He goes out and he starts getting his preparations for war ready. Okay, We're going to see that he's going to go out and see how much water he's got in his water tank. He's going to say, can I, can I survive this attack that these guys are going to wage against Jerusalem? Here's what it says. Look in Isaiah 7, 3 through 7. It says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, and, and his name means a remnant will return, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. The picture is kind of like a, a burnt stick that's been in a fire, right? He's saying they're like these burnt sticks, they're, they're worthless. And at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. So Ahaz is scared. He's out there checking on how much water he has, and Isaiah goes to meet him there. And then this is what God has to say to Ahaz through Isaiah in verse 7. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim, or the northern kingdom, will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So God speaks through Isaiah to Ahaz and basically says, Don't be afraid. I got this one. It's not going to happen. These these countries coming down, they're not going to win. And in fact, the northern kingdom of Israel, they're going away. In 65 years, they're not even going to be a country. So in other words, he says, cheer up, Ahaz. Stop shaking. I got it under control. Those seem like really good words. I mean, sometimes I wish... I wish God would be close enough to me and and speak those words into my situations of life sometimes. And sometimes he does. Some of them he's recorded right here. And yet here is Ahaz. Seems like really good words. And then God finishes with that statement in 7.9. He says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Because God knows that if, if Ahaz does not set his heart to follow God, and stand on what God has said, then Ahaz is going to fail. And not only will he fail, but he will, he will continually be moved by whatever comes his way. Whatever cultural thing, whatever battle, whatever new pagan idolatry comes his way, he's going to be blown around. And we see that with Ahaz, he shows us that trusting God means setting our heart completely on him. In all circumstances, 
Many, many places in the Bible, God is described as a rock, as a, as a refuge, as this immovable being that if we will, we will attach ourselves to him, he, he becomes the anchor for our soul now in life and, and when we go into death. He becomes the standard by which all our choices and the, the situations of our life can be measured against. Something solid that we can look to. And one way we can make him his, our rock is by knowing what he said. For Ahaz, he needed to trust in God's word that had come to him through Isaiah. And for us, we have to trust in God's word here that has come to us. We need to know it, we need to stand on it, and we need to be committed to living it out. Now, as you guys know, there's a strong, uh, a strong current in our culture and, and even in church culture that is, that is not into commitment. Okay, we're, we're not into it. And, and maybe, maybe it's because we're scared of getting hurt or maybe you're just keeping your eyes out there waiting for the next best thing. I've been guilty of that. Or maybe you're wanting to retain some sense of freedom that you get to determine things about your life. You get to say where you go and what you do. Or maybe you just don't want to commit to the to God and the gospel because you don't want to look stupid in front of your neighbors, in front of your friends. Whatever whatever it is, we we don't want to fully commit to Jesus and His Word. And and what happens when we do that is we begin to flounder around. You you have nothing to measure your life against. So we move we move from relationship to relationship. We move from job to job, sometimes even city to city, trying to figure out what we should do, what's best for us, what will make us happy, maybe even from church to church. And yet God is telling Ahaz, if you will be firm in faith in the God of the universe, then you'll be firm in all the things of life. And he's telling us the same thing. Many of us, many of us need to be firm on something and we we long for a standard by which to make decisions. Some of you will even say, I, I wish somebody would tell me what to do and where to go and what to say. It would make my life so much easier. And the fact is, God promises to do that for us. But we must commit to Him as Lord, to walk in His ways. The Gospel, it, it calls us to commit once and for all to Jesus. And through faith. If we can't be firm in our commitment to Christ, we will be firm in nothing. The Bible claims to be the only standard. God claims to be the only standard by which we can measure our lives against. And by not making a decision or skirting skirting the issue, it's as good as saying no to the gospel. In fact, let's, let's look at how Ahaz responds here to Isaiah. Isaiah 7, um, 10 through 17, here's, here's kind of what it says. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Now that's cool. God said, not only are, am I going to rescue you from these guys, but go ahead and ask me for a sign and make it whatever you want it to be, and I'll confirm it to you that I'm going to do that. So what is... What does is, what is Ahaz say? I mean, I, I wish God would give me that request, right? I mean, if, you know, so we, we talk about it in our tithing a lot. God says, if you will 
if you will be regular and you're, you're giving to me, then I, then I will provide for you. Right? That's the promise of God. If you give me the first fruits, then I will make sure you're taken care of. Now, what sign would you like to confirm that from God? I kind of would like $25 million in the bank. I'd feel pretty good about that, right? I'd feel pretty good about standing on that promise. But look at what Ahaz says. Verse 12. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I won't put God to the test. And Isaiah says, Well, then hear then, O house of David. Is it too little to weary men that you would weary God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey and when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Now isn't it interesting that one of the most well-rehearsed prophecies of the coming of Christ comes as a rebuke to Ahaz's faithfulness. Now we know this is a prophecy of Jesus. Matthew tells us that, Matthew one twenty three. But it was also a prophecy for Ahaz. And, and when we study prophecy in the Bible, there's, there's, there's usually a, a close fulfillment that deals with the historical situation, and yet it usually speaks to things far into the future. And so we know here that, that some kid was to be born to Ahaz, and that means God, I mean, Emmanuel being God with us, and that before this child is a toddler, the two kings that are threatening Ahaz will be gone. And so we do, the Bible doesn't tell us who that was. Maybe it's Isaiah's child in chapter 8, little Mahar. If you want to read about him, he's in chapter 8. But whoever it was, whatever it was, we know that God would have fulfilled it in a way that showed Ahaz his rejection and his rebellion and showed God's sovereignty of the situation. Oh, and beyond that, God says, you're in trouble because you refuse to follow me. And so I'm sending far worse things than these two little kings that you were worried about. I'm sending the king of Assyria against you. And yet the prophecy of Emmanuel to Ahaz is, is so much like the actual, the actual coming of Christ. The world and us included, myself, you, we're all, we're usually heading in our own direction, making, making our lives the way we want them to be, trying to appear righteous before God and yet not really wanting His interference in our life. And God says, I'm sending my son anyway. He will live the perfect life. He'll die on the cross for your sin. And He will stand as a banner proclaiming my love to you, my mercy, my forgiveness, my graciousness and salvation to anyone that wants to come to me. And Christ says, I know... And Christ God says, I know you don't want a son, but I'm giving you one anyway. And if it feels like the gospel is an intrusion into your life, that's because it is. When God sends his son, suddenly we see just how far off track we've gotten from what God called us to be. And yet his son is also the way back to being in relationship with God. 
Now, why, why in the world would Ahaz refuse God's request? I mean, he's got the, the Aladdin, the genie in the bottle moment, and he blows it. I mean, he could have said a bazillion million things right there, right? Look at, look at 2 Kings 16, 7 through 9. This tells us what Ahaz did right after the first time Israel and Syria tried to wage war against him. Here's what it says, 2 Kings 16, 7 through 9. So after they come down in battle, it says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Assyria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. And then in verses 8 and 9, it says, Ahaz took the silver and the gold from the treasury of the temple and he took it to the king of Assyria as a gift. Oh, now I see what's going on in Ahaz's mind. He made a deal. Ahaz was looking to the king of Assyria for help instead of God. In fact, he probably already made this deal by the time Isaiah comes to him and says what God has to say to him. So Ahaz isn't pious. That's not a pious answer from Ahaz. It's him secretly giving away everything to the enemy exchange for help. And in doing so, he, he rejects God. And we think, how could he do that? How could he take the, the treasury of God and, and give it away? How could he lead this people this way? Let me ask you, how many times have you rejected God's plan in your own life by trying to do the things you think are better? Sometimes we are so faithless to cast aside what God has said to go for what we can see and have seen in the world. And Ahaz chooses his ways, what look right in his eyes, the ways he's learned from, from the nations and the kings around him, the culture of the world, instead of what, what God had said a king should do. What we see is that a heart that trusts God seeks to walk in his ways as opposed to its own ways. Second Chronicles 28.20 tells us this. It says, Tiglath-Pileser king of Assyria, came against Ahaz and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. Isn't that ironic? The very thing that Ahaz ran to for help instead of God becomes the very thing God uses to punish him. And so it is with our sin. We, we choose to indulge in so many things that we know are against God that God has told His people to stray from. And it's usually those very things that turn around and are afflicting us. Much of our own suffering, we have to see it. It's it's the direct result of our own sin. It's the natural consequences God has assigned to your sin. And yet so much of the time we complain, how could this happen to me? How could I do this? Because usually you've walked away from God in something. And God speaks to Isaiah at this point, and he warns him. He says, look, Isaiah, this, this king, this people, they've walked away from me. I don't want you to go that way. So listen, here's what, I, what God says to Isaiah. He, in Isaiah 8, 11 through 15, he says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. 
Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and be taken. And so we see that trusting God means following him even when it looks foolish to us. It looked like foolishness to Ahaz to trust in God when you can make friends with the most important nation in the world. Why would I trust in God when I can call my buddy in Assyria and he can help me? And it looks like foolishness for us to follow Christ in this world. Our culture says it's foolishness. But 1 Corinthians reminds us, 1, 22 and 25, it tells us that Christ crucified... It's a stumbling block, and it's going to be a stumbling block for everybody because it looks like foolishness, and yet it's the strength of God. And that's exactly what Ahaz was dealing with here. But Ahaz gets worse. Second Kings 16.10 tells us this. It tells us that Ahaz, he goes up to meet the king of Assyria after the king of Assyria wipes out Syria, Damascus, kind of to thank him, say hi, right? And while he's up there, he, he sees an altar that it was built in Damascus, a pagan altar. And he thinks, man, that's a good-looking altar. I think I want one back at our temple. In fact, I'm going to tell our priest, Uriah, why don't you go ahead and make me a, an altar just like the pagan one up there in Damascus. And we'll use that one instead. And that's what they do. And so we see that Ahaz is not firm in faith. He's not firm in anything. We do the same thing all the time in our hearts and in our churches. We see what's going on around in the world around us and we think, oh, that looks pretty good. That seemed to work for them. That probably will work for me even when it's contrary to what God has told us. And yet God stands all the time waiting for us to learn His ways even when they look insufficient and weak. Because they're rooted in Him as the rock. And then this is the parting picture we get of Ahaz. Look at this. 2 Chronicles 28, 22-25 tells us this. In the time of his distress, that's Ahaz, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. This same King Ahaz, as if it's saying, can you believe it? For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, I'll sacrifice to them. Maybe they'll help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, and he cut them into pieces, the vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors to the, to the house of the Lord. And he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking the anger of the Lord, the God of his fathers." What we see is that when we continually reject God's influence on our hearts, He sets us adrift with ourselves. We'll be at the very mercy of anything that comes our way, and it will end in our destruction. The physical temple, I, I think it becomes this beautiful picture of actually of Ahaz's heart, right? The doors are shut, windows are boarded up, we've sold everything valuable, and nobody's home. He's gone his own way. And if you feel like 
your heart is empty as well. Sometimes that's a picture of our heart. If you feel like you're, you're empty as well, that there's boards on the window of your heart, you've, you've given away everything valuable in your life, you've sold it all to the world and gone the world's way, then you need to trust Christ today, either for the first time or again, and He can bring you life. And that's what we're going to see in Hezekiah, a king who trusts in God and God brings him life. So let's look at Hezekiah. This will be out of Isaiah 36 and 37. Here's what it, here's what it says about um, Hezekiah. I'll just read this for you out of, out of 2 Kings 18, 3 through 7. So Hezekiah, he's the son of Ahaz, and this is what it says in verse 3. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments of the Lord, commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Whenever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria. He would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gath, as far as Gaza and its territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. Hezekiah is a good king. He trusts God. And we see there, he destroys the idols. He says, heck no to the king of Assyria. And he even breaks down the, the serpent of Moses. Now that comes from Numbers, if you don't remember what that is. And, and everybody is punished in the Exodus and they get bit by the fiery serpents. And so God has Moses make this iron or this bronze serpent that everybody looks to. And when they look to it, it becomes, they become healed of their, their, their snake bites. And uh, it, it's for us, it's a picture of Christ being raised up on the cross, that when we look to Christ on the cross, we will receive salvation. And here, that was a big deal for the nation of Israel, and Hezekiah strikes it down. And it's because they had gone from worshiping the God that that symbol represented to worshiping the symbol itself. And so even Hezekiah breaks that down so that the people would trust God. Second Chronicles 29, 3-11, it tells us that Hezekiah then opens the doors of the temple. He commands the Levites to repair everything that's broken, to get out all the junk that Ahaz has brought in, and to get it ready for worship. And that's what they do. I want you to remember something about Ahaz, or Hezekiah. Who was Hezekiah's father? Ahaz. What's different about Ahaz and Hezekiah? Hezekiah trusts God. And I want you to see that he went a different direction than his family and his upbringing. His father was one of the the worst kings of Israel that turned his back on God, led the people into sin, introduced tons of pagan idolatry. And yet Hezekiah stands for the Lord. And so we see that in the grace of Christ, you receive the power to overcome the sin you may have grown up with. 
You receive the, the power to overcome the sin of your family, your culture, and maybe even your religion that you grew up with. In Christ, you can overcome your past. God can do that. You don't, have to, you don't have to be like your mom and dad that didn't follow Jesus. You don't have to live under the sin that you grew up with in your house. The gospel can make you a totally different person, passionate for the things of God, living for the things of God. You don't have to continue the anger you learned from your dad or your mom. You don't have to continue the sexual brokenness of your family and your friends. You can be healed in the power of God. So what is it that you need to ask God to heal you from in your past? Some of us have let those sins of the past dominate us for far too long. And yet God says you can be healed of that in Christ. You can walk a different direction. Just like Hezekiah turned the corner and said, I will not do what my father did, but I will follow God. Just this week I was talking to a man and having having lunch with him and he was recounting all the sexual perversion that he grew up with in his house, things he shouldn't have seen as a kid, things that he was engaged in because his parents were not following the Lord and how it affected him for many, many years of his life. And yet as he became a Christian later in life, God has has been teaching him and helping him to walk in a new direction. And it's amazing. God can do that. That's amazing that Hezekiah stands up on day one and says, we're opening the temple that my father closed. There's something else we can see in this this shift too from father to son. As we look at look at Hezekiah, though, though the text never says it, there had to be somebody teaching this guy the Word of God. Somehow he learned the law of the Lord and was stoked about putting it in place when he became king. I'd like to know who that was. Even though the priests and the people and the king had all walked away, somebody was remaining faithful and they were teaching the Word to Hezekiah. And as As the body of Christ, we cannot hold highly enough how we teach these kids up here the gospel and we teach the youth the gospel and we teach those younger than us to follow and walk in God's ways. It's so important. We need to commit ourselves as a church to teaching our children. Whether it's in the home or here, they're going to be the next generation that is called to be faithful and bear witness to who Christ is. And it takes all of us to make that happen. So then we, we read that the Levites, they clean out all the uncleanliness of the temple. They get the doors fixed. They get the boards off the windows. Get the bird nest out of the Holy of Holies. And Hezekiah restarts the temple worship. And he reinstitutes Passover, which hadn't happened in many years. And look at, look at what he does here in Second Chronicles 36. He calls the people to return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hands of the king of Assyria. Remember Isaiah's son? The remnant shall return. Here they are. Some of them are coming back. And further he asks them, don't be stiff-necked people. Just humble yourself and come back to God. Say you're sorry. We, we're sorry for all that pagan junk we've been doing just come back to god because he says the lord your god he's gracious he's merciful and he won't turn your his face away from you if you return 
It's like the parable of the prodigal son. Just come back and dad will embrace you. You know how the people responded? Second Chronicles 30, 10 through 11 says this. It says the people laughed and they mocked the messengers. Sound familiar? And yet verse 11 tells us that some humbled themselves and they came to Jerusalem. They said, we will come back to our God. And in Second Chronicles 30, 26, they, they celebrate the Passover and it says that there had not been this much joy in Jerusalem since the time of Solomon, which means since the kingdom had divided. And Second Chronicles 30, 21 tells us that every work that Hezekiah undertook in his service of the house of God in accordance with the law and the commandments seeking his God, he did with all his heart and he prospered. He's a good king. He trusts God. He's given his life to him in his teaching. May we learn to be like him. Now, Hezekiah is going to face his test. He's going to face his war just like Ahaz. So let's look at that. This comes in Isaiah 36. And this chapter 36 and 37 and 38 are some of my most favorite passages in the Bible. They're just fun to read. They're good stories. So we're going to read a fair amount, but I encourage you to read it all. Okay? It's a good story. So here's what it says about the situation in Isaiah 36, 1 through 10. It says, In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. In fact, he, he wipes out the northern kingdom. It's gone. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lysias to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. So Rabshakeh is kind of king of Assyria's uh, main man. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Sound familiar? And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary of Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. So the situation is the king of Assyria has sent his envoy down there to talk to Hezekiah's men. So they're out by the pool and they're talking. And then Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, are you trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce your hand of any man who leans on it? Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar, speaking of the temple altar. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least? of my servants, my master's servants, when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. Moreover, it's without, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now those are some harsh words. Those are mean words. Look at how Hezekiah's men respond. Look at verse 11. Isaiah thirty-six eleven. It says, Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. 
do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. So what they're saying is, you're speaking to us in Hebrew and all our guys can hear what you're saying. Can you please speak to us in the common language so that we don't scare these guys while we're dealing? And Rabshika, like Monty Python, the Holy Grail, says, I will taunt you a second time. And here's what he says. Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Well, he's a nice guy. And then he proceeds for the next seven verses to continue to verbally berate them and say how much better it would be if they came and found shelter with the king of Assyria as opposed to God. Now here's how Hezekiah responds. This is how they respond. 36.21 it says, But they were silent and answered him not a word. For the Hezekiah, the king, his command was, Do not answer them. And it tells us that in 37, 1 and 2, that when Hezekiah heard the report, he tore his clothes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the temple to pray to God. Remember what God had told Ahaz? Be quiet. Be careful. Don't be afraid. Don't grow faint in heart. And we see that in Hezekiah's response here. His men are quiet partially because I think they're shocked. But they're bold. And Hezekiah is careful. Instead of making his own deal with kings of the nations, the first thing he does is he seeks God. He knows that God is the only one that can save him. And so he heads straight to God and says, God, what's going on? Help me. He's firm in faith. He's a man that believes in God. And this is how the Lord responds to, through Isaiah to Hezekiah. The Lord says in Isaiah 37, 6 through 7, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. And that's exactly what happens. In fact, God confirms that with a sign. And Hezekiah says, yeah, I'll take that sign. And the king of Assyria gets a rumor that the the king of Cush or kind of Ethiopia region is coming up against him. And so Rabshakeh writes a letter to Hezekiah and says, oh, we kind of got held up. We got another little battle we need to fight. But don't let, you, don't let that make you think that your God has saved you because we're going to come back and kill you. Okay, so he goes and fights his battle. And this is what Hezekiah does with the letter. He takes it again into the house of the Lord and he prays over it. Isaiah 37, 16 through 20 says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to all the nations in their lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods. But the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. 
And because of Hezekiah's supplication and prayer to the Lord, God answers him and pronounces destruction on Assyria. Look what happens. Isaiah 37, verses 36 and 38, it says, And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. That's a lot of dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god Adramelech, and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after they had escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. God did exactly what he said he would do. Not on Hezekiah's strength, but on his strength. It looked like weakness to go and to pray to God. And we see from then on the Assyrians, they begin a downhill slide that ends with Babylon taking them over. See, that trusting God means falling on our face before Him in our weakness and asking for His strength. God was the one fighting for Hezekiah, and He will fight for you, but you have to take Him at His word and give Him your heart and trust. The faithless life of Ahaz looks like not being guided by God's Word, a rejection of the ways of God, a clamoring after the whims and the things of the world, no prayer, but rather justification and scheming for his own ways. No trust in God. The life of faith in Hezekiah looks like being guided by God's Word, a zeal to do the things in His Word, a rejection of the ways of the world, and a whole lot of prayer. And he trusts in God. So the question for us is, Will we trust in God? Who will it be? Who, who do you want to look like, Ahaz or Hezekiah? Will you set your life against God or for Him? Even our salvation in Christ is a matter of trust. And Ben, you can come on up. When you, when you confess Jesus is Lord, you're placing your trust in Him. That's what you're doing. You place your faith in Christ as the, the only one that's able to save you from your sin, the only one that's able to lift your life up out of the grave and whatever it was in to life. The Bible tells us that salvation is by this faith alone, by trusting in Him. And just like Ahaz and Hezekiah, we face a big battle. It's coming. God has promised to come against those of us that rebel against Him. And yet God in His mercy and love provided us a way of peace and escape. And we can be with Him before the war ever starts. He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins and mine. And Jesus offers us His righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness. And He guarantees it with a sign. You know what it is? He raised from the dead. The question is, will you trust Him? We learn to walk in His ways and lean on Him, experiencing His grace. Or you go it alone, trying to please God in your own ways. Or worse yet, making an alliance with the world. The world's fading away. The simplicity of the gospel has been a, it's been a stumbling block to many and, and still is because it seems so, so weak. But for those who are willing to trust God, it will be life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today and we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to each one of us by your spirit. You would reveal to us the things that are contrary 
to what we should be as believers in you and that we would freely give those up to you and trust you. God, some of us may not have trusted Christ yet before. I pray that you would help those to boldly take that step. Say, I will bet it all on Jesus. Pray as we go out of here, Lord, you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to stand when the battles and the storms of life come. And may we see your hand move in our life. In the name of Christ, amen.